Amen. Y'all go ahead and be seated. Good morning, City Light. How we doing? Woo! It's good to be back with you this morning. You always got to be careful when a, a preacher takes a couple weeks off. Everywhere I've gone, I've just been preaching, you know, so I like my, my kids are tired of hearing about Jesus and every meeting I take, you know, 20 extra minutes and, uh, but here, now I can finally, finally get back into this. Very thankful. Uh, last couple of weeks, John and Dale did a fantastic job. Awesome group of people here we have that can teach the word. Very thankful for that. Uh, if you're new, hey, welcome. You can fill out a connect card on your seat or on the seat next to you. Please turn that in. We'd love to connect with you after the service. Hey, yesterday, Fall Festival was amazing. Who came out for that? Everybody good? It was great. Props to all y'all who came to participate, to serve. Uh, we some props to Jess, who's not in here right now, but she's the staff member who led that whole thing. So uh, thankful to her. Uh, and uh, what a great day to serve our community and uh, really thankful for, for one awesome thing. Continue to pray that the Lord bring much fruit from it. Maybe if you were here yesterday, your first experience at City Light was the fall festival. Uh, I'm grateful that you were able to come to service this morning, and, and I hope you can get connected to the church here, and, and we want to help you in your spiritual life and journey. Uh, so yesterday was amazing. Another way you can serve, I want to put out to you this week, uh, is that Falls Church High School reached out to us, which I want to remind you is not normal and is great when the local school calls you, okay, uh, to say you've been so helpful. We want to, we want to continue to ask for your help. Uh, they need 50 new jackets for kids at their school, students at their school who don't have, who don't have uh, jackets for the winter, all right? So I was like, oh, 50 jackets, no problem, no problem. That's a piece of cake. You need 100, you know, 100, you know, like, uh, because I knew that y'all were going to be here Sunday, and I was going to say, there's students right there that need 50 jackets, uh, and you need to get yourself to Target this week, because you're already going to be there anyways, uh, and while you're there getting whatever else you're getting, go buy a jacket, all right? New jackets. This is not go to your closet and get an old jacket. This is not that, okay? Uh, this is you taking your money and resources that God has given you and using it to go bless a local student. So, uh, if we could get those this week, listen, I said that's no problem. Uh, so if you can go out this week and come bring a jacket Thursday or Sunday at service, we'd love to be able to take them to school next week. All right, everybody got that? You got it? Okay, all right, all right, I'm counting on y'all. I, I will include myself, so I'll take one. So I need 49 more jackets, all right, uh, that we can get uh, so that we can bless. Uh, a couple of details, neutral colors is great. Uh, neutral colors, just so that they can be, go many ways and not be too, too worried about that. Uh, and then adult sizes, extra small, small, medium, large, uh, adult sizes would be good. So I think that would be really helpful. So bring that this week, next week, uh, be here by Sunday, be awesome. We want to serve our community well. Uh, a couple more things before we jump into the Word. Number one, there's a newcomer lunch after the 11 o'clock service today. So come join us. We'd love to meet you. If you've been new basically this year, Come join us, and we'd love to connect with you after the service in the co-working space. Uh, and then the next important thing, this is actually, okay, so, you know, we're three years over. We're becoming, you know, a real structured church, all right? So I used to be so proud of us. We're growing up and doing all these big boy things. Uh, and so we're running a member meeting, our first annual member meeting uh, on November 13th, all right? And so we'd love for you to join us after church. Is this, this sounds like it's popping a lot back there. I don't know if it's driving y'all crazy. Is it good? Are y'all good? Everybody good? Let's see. Sometimes it's just me, all right? So, all right, great. So I can deal with it as long as y'all are good. So member meeting, November 13th at 1 o'clock. I'll serve you lunch. Stay, hang out, 
Uh, we're really going to pray, going to talk about some things happening at church, going to talk about the building and kind of the process, what's going on there. Uh, we'd love to have you there. So November 13th at 1 o'clock. All right. You should have on your seat a scripture journal Bible. Okay. I want you to hold it up. You have it? Hold it up. All right. Have it. You got it? Okay. This is our gift to you so that you can study and get into the word of God. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Haggai. Okay. For everybody say Haggai. Practice. Haggai, Haggai, okay, great, Haggai, we're going to be getting into the book of Haggai for the next four weeks, uh, and it's going to be an awesome time to learn about what God is, is teaching us through the book of Haggai. We give you these scripture journals so that you can write in it, so that you can study the word. Remember something I say a lot, man shall not live by sermons alone, okay? You need to study and know the word of God. The Holy Spirit wants to meet you where you're at in your house, with your Bible. He wants to meet you with a couple friends gathered around. Uh, man shall not live by sermons alone. Get to know the Lord. Use that little thing. Mark stuff up. While I'm talking, mark stuff up. Use it to your advantage. We really want you to prioritize learning and growing in the Word of God. And so that would be really, really great. So that's what we have that for you. It includes several minor prophet books. You're just going to be looking for Haggai for this particular sermon series. All right? Uh, here's what I want us to do with this, this series throughout Haggai for the next four weeks. I want to help us order our lives. I want to help us get our lives in order. I want to help us learn what good priorities are. I want to help all of us understand the way that we ought to be living our lives. Now, what's interesting for all of us, so whether you're here today and you've never been to church, maybe you're new to church, you've never learn much about Christianity. You're at that point. We're so glad that you're here. I hope you learn how much God loves you and what he wants for your life. Or maybe you're here and you've been in church for a while. You've been living according to church. Uh, you've been living according to church principles for a while. You can just bring me a handheld if this is, if it's gonna, if this is gonna work. Okay, so uh, you've, been, you've been living according to these church principles for a while. You've been trying to figure out what is going on uh, with, your, with your church life. And I, I, you've been doing that for a while. And you say, I know how to order my life, or maybe you're here and you say, I don't know how to order my life, or maybe you're here and you say, I think I know how to order my life, but it's not working the way that I would want it to, and you're very confused, because th this is what I need us to understand this morning. What's very interesting is that we are constantly being promoted with an order of life that doesn't actually lead to the life that we want. We are being promoted an order of life that doesn't actually lead to the life that we want. All right? Oh, here we go. Yeah. See? Perfect. Perfect. Now I can focus. All right, there we go. Uh, so we're, we're constantly being promoted in order of life that doesn't lead to the life that we actually want. You guys know this, and you haven't really thought it through maybe to this extent, but the way the world wants you to order your life doesn't actually work out for you. The way the world tells you to live your life doesn't actually work out for you. Once you put yourself first, but when you put yourself first, you find yourself miserable. It doesn't take too long. It's going to play out over the long run. You keep putting yourself, and then you find yourself miserable. It doesn't actually work to put yourself and your needs first. The world says you should order your life by being free to self-express. As soon as you're able to express yourself and who you really are, then you will find freedom and purpose in life. That's the order the world would tell you to live your life in, but then all of a sudden we're free to express ourselves, but we find ourselves now enslaved to our feelings. 
the order that has been presented to us doesn't, doesn't work. Well, if you pursue success, material success, power, worldly success, being good at business, then you're going to be successful and you're finally going to be happy, only to come to the point where we pursue material success, we take the route the world lays out for us to be successful, and then we find ourselves empty. Isn't this the story of our lives over and over and over again? More money, more sex, more power, but less security, less happiness, less freedom. The order of life the world does presenting to you is not working out for you. And I'm going to tell you this morning, make it make sense. This is what God is telling us too this morning is make it make sense. The way that you're living your life and the order that the world presents to us doesn't actually make sense. It doesn't actually lead to the life you want. It doesn't actually lead to the life you were made for. And I know many of you this morning are having trouble making life make sense. And maybe you came to church because you're having trouble making life make sense. Or maybe you always come to church, but you're still having trouble making life make sense. And what I want to tell you this morning is it's a very simple reason. Usually our lives don't make sense simply because they are not in order. We haven't ordered our lives correctly, and therefore our life doesn't make sense. And you might be ordering your life according to the way the world tells you to order your life. And it's not turning out the way that you thought it would. More money, more power, less freedom, less happiness. Make it make sense. It doesn't make sense. And that's what I want to reveal to you this morning through the word of God. Is God is going to help us get our priorities straight and get our lives in order. Not only that we may glorify and love and honor him, but also to our own benefit. Because this is the way the Lord wants your lives to be ordered, and it's going to work out best for you. So let's go ahead and look at Haggai 1 through 11. We're going to read it, and then I'll give you a little bit of context after. But that's the thrust of the passage this morning. Oh, yeah, go ahead and open your Bible. Hey, there we go. Man, I'm a little rusty. I forgot to do that. Okay, great. Let's go, let's go. All right, here's Haggai chapter 1. If you open your Bible to the middle and start flipping to the right a little bit, you'll find it, all right? Ain't no shame. Nobody in here can find Haggai. So don't look around and be like, oh, man, it's taking me a while. Okay, don't worry about it. You're probably on your phone anyway, so you just flip to it. It's right there. It's right in this section called Minor Prophets. There's 12 of them. Uh, We're not going to get into the whole details of the whole thing. But those 12 books basically function as one entity, uh, teaching similar principles and ideas. Uh, And this covers a particular time in the Old Testament, which I will clarify for you. So, Here's what, the, here's what the text says, 1 through 11. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. You guys all be very impressed I made it through those names, all right? You know what I mean? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. Uh, somebody in here who speaks Hebrew is going to be like, you didn't say that right. I'm sorry, okay? I tried. All right. All right. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's what God wants you to do this morning. He wants you to consider your ways. You have sown much but harvested little. You eat, but you never 
have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. And 2022 says, make it make sense. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, this is about to stomp on your heart, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So we're going to stop there for this morning. So let me summarize for you. About 60 to 70 years prior to this happening in, in uh, history, a group called the Babylonians had come and they had taken over the people of Jerusalem. So this is like the last final straw. The Assyrians came and they took out people of Israel. And now the, now the next part have come about 150 years later, in five, five, 586 B.C., they wipe out the people of Jerusalem. This is God's like final act of judgment he had been warning about forever. He won't listen to me. You won't listen to me. You won't listen to me. Repent. Turn. This is going to happen. He keeps saying it. Part of the prophets are just, they're just over and over again. The Babylonians are coming. They're coming. They're coming if you don't turn your ways. They neglect to listen to the Lord, so the Babylonians do come. And when they come, they clean house. It is not a, it is not a nice takeover. It is a hostile takeover. They burn the city down. They destroy the temple. They take the people captive. They kill most of them. And then they take the people captive and they bring them over to uh, Babylon, which is where you're going to get a book like Daniel. So Daniel's somebody who goes, and now he's living over there, and that kind of makes sense in your mind as to what's happening. Now, in this situation, about 60 or 70 years later, uh, the Persians defeat the Babylonians, okay? Now, this is all wonderful because it's in the Bible, and it's also recorded in history. So the Bible's matching uh, with what we know about history. So the Persians come. They defeat the Babylonians. You get a new ruler. His name's King Cyrus. And he is uh, not a nice guy, but he's at least more open to certain things. And he's willing to let some of the Jews go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their city. So now we're thinking like 520 B.C.-ish is the idea about what's happening with Haggai. So this group of people have been taken captive. Several generations have gone. And now 60 or 70 years later, they're allowed to return to their land. All right? Now just imagine what it would be like if somebody came and took over false church, you know. And they burned it to the ground. And this church was burnt to it. Everything was destroyed. That's what they're coming back to, okay? It's a wasteland. Nobody's been taking care of it. It's not cultivated. It's not anything, okay? It's a really bad spot. They're coming back. They have to rebuild their lives. They have to rebuild the temple. They have to rebuild everything. So when they show up on site, you have two different things. The temple is in ruins and the land is in ruins. And so they make a choice, and they prioritizing getting the land ready, and they neglect rebuilding the temple. This is the situation as to what's happening. The temple throughout the Old Testament is the place where God manifested his presence. It was the place where we were given the, they were given the ability to engage with and interact with God. It was the place where, although God 
technically resides everywhere. He is omnipresent. He decided to show up somewhere very specifically in the temple in a very different way. It's a unique place. This is the place where God dwells. It's very important, obviously. It's also the place where the priests mediate for the sins of the people. This is the place where the priests do business between God and the people. So this is a very, very important reality. that we they, In this situation, okay, in the Old Testament, the people of God needed a temple. It's very important. And we're going to talk a little bit later about why we don't need a temple, which is a beautiful, beautiful truth. We have a new one. Yet, they needed one. Okay? But this spiritual reality that was so pressing, I need my sins forgiven. I need to interact with God. Those things are important. Yet, the land was a wasteland. They had to plant crops. You have to build houses. You got to take care of your family. You got to make clothes. You got to build a life. And so now they say, well, we got to build a life, man. I got to build my house. I got to make clothes. I got to stay warm. And so the people decide to do that. So their decision as a group of people is to neglect rebuilding the temple or rather to delay and to prioritize rebuilding their lives in the land. However, all their effort to rebuild their lives was not producing the results that the effort should have gotten. And Haggai comes in now to explain why. So this situation, this, so Haggai is stepping in now to explain why all your work is producing very little results. What's happening, you know? Well, they've got to be wondering, man, we're, we're planting, we're sowing, we're not reaping. What is happening? And Haggai comes in to say, let me tell you what's happening. And basically when Haggai comes in now, he says, you have neglected God to the neglect of yourself. I want you to let that sing here for a second. Haggai's teaching them something. He says, he comes in and says, hey, you're neglecting God, and while you neglect God, you also neglect yourself because you find your best interest in God. And isn't that a word for our day as well? This is very important for us to understand that as we neglect God, we also neglect our own well-being. This is true for those of you who are maybe outside of the faith, you're not Christians, and you're trying to understand, and God loves you so much. We're going to explain and walk through what Jesus did for you, how he died on the cross and rose again to cover your sins and to give you an opportunity to be with him in paradise forever. The reality of your life now is that it doesn't make sense because you're not including God in it. Your life doesn't make sense because you're not starting with the one who made you. You have neglected God to the neglect of yourself. And the world has told you that you are neglecting God to the benefit of yourself. If you neglect God, you can live how you want. You tell me how that's working out for you. Is it actually working out? Or is it more like make it make sense? This doesn't work. Has neglecting the reality of God over a long period of time turned out to your benefit? Has following your own way actually gave you more freedom, joy, Less guilty, conscience clear. Is that happening? What I want us all to understand, and especially those of you who are in the room who know the Lord, on a daily basis, on a practical way with your relationship with God, when you neglect God and time with God and reading the word and becoming a person of prayer and prioritizing his presence, you are neglecting your own well-being. And you think you are replacing that time with something that needs to get done. I can't read my Bible because I'm too busy. Too busy to be well? 
Do you say that about going to the doctor? I have cancer, but I'm too busy to go get treatment. You would never say that. And this is the reality that God is presenting to us, that we neglect God to the neglect of ourselves. See this, it gets, really, it gets really deep. I love this. I've been studying this. Props to some people, particularly, particularly Brian Moore, wherever he is. He sent me this big thing in Hebrew, okay? He knows a lot about the Old Testament. It's great. Uh, and so I've just been really in Haggai for the last several weeks. And there's so much going on here. The first thing I want you to see is, is, is this, that there's this reality to this point. So you neglect God to neglect yourself. And there's a wordplay here between the temple and the land. And basically, they're both in ruins. So the temple is in ruins. And the land is in ruins. They both need to be rebuilt. They both need to be working out. They both need effort and work put into them. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. As is the temple, so is the land. You cannot fix the land if you do not fix the temple. See what I'm saying? If the temple is in ruins, then the land is in ruins, even if you put all your effort into rebuilding it. You see? If your relationship with God is in ruins, then your life is in ruins, even if you put all the effort into being successful. This is why order is so important. Because you cannot fix the land if you do not fix the temple. You see what's happening? They're trying to fix the land and rebuild their lives. But the work isn't producing the results they need because their life is not in order. If the temple is in ruins, then the land is in ruins. No matter how hard you try to fix it. You have to get the order right. And as we're going to see, he's going to say, if you would fix the temple, I will fix your land. And this is what you've been doing. Listen, this is so important. I just could preach for three hours today, and I won't because I know there's kids down there, and the kids' workers will quit, okay? They're not going to do that. But this is so important to say, look, you're prioritizing trying to fix your life by trying to fix your life. When if you would prioritize God, he would fix your life. You've got it backwards. Make it make sense. That's why it's not working. That's why it's not working. No matter how hard you try to be successful or to work good or to even be a good parent or to be a good friend or to have the right relationships or to be satisfied and content in life or to make sure your, 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 your social security and all, the, all your retirement stuff is good. None of that stuff's going to do it for you. Why? Because if you're too busy trying to fix your life and you neglect God, then your life will not get fixed because the only person who can order and fix and make your life thrive is God. You can plant as many seeds as you want, but if God doesn't make it grow, it will not grow. You can make as much money as you want, but if God's not in it, it's not going to do anything for you. You can be as secure financially as you want and be totally insecure on the inside. You're so busy trying to fix your life because it is in ruins, but you have to get the order right. If the temple is in ruins, so is the land. And if your relationship with God is in ruins, so are you. There's a little phrase for you to write down. is that as my relationship with God is, so I am. 
as my relationship with God is, so I am. I cannot pretend. I cannot mistake. And I cannot overlook the reality that if my relationship with God is not healthy, I am not healthy. If my relationship with God is broken because of my sin, which all of us have at some point before believing in Jesus, and if you haven't believed in Jesus, that is the reality for you now. If your relationship with God is broken, you are broken. Jesus has come to fix that. That's the good news. If your relationship with God is foggy, ambiguous, unclear, then your mental state will be foggy, ambiguous, and unclear. You wonder why you're so foggy. You wonder why you're not clear-headed. Well, the reason for that is because your relationship with God is foggy. Here and there, a touch of it, da-da-da-da-da, nothing clear, nothing intentional, no structure, no rhythm, no priority. As your relationship with God is, so are you. Even if you're here and you're not a Christian, that reality is still at hand. Nobody can avoid this. Nobody. Now, this is the reason for all of our struggles and issues in life. We are made for God. We are made to be in a relationship with God. God has made us to know him and to love him. Our whole being is supposed to be designed to revolve around God. So, therefore, when I don't prioritize God, I neglect the reason for my existence. No wonder you feel lost. No wonder you feel aimless. No wonder. It's because you're neglecting the whole reason why you're here. Now, I want to give you a little phrase for this because they're experiencing something that we experience as well. This is what I'm calling it. I'm calling it the futility of misplaced priority. The futility of misplaced priority. What is this? This is when my priorities don't lead to what's best for me. What an irony. I set the priorities of my life. Nobody does that for me. You set the priorities of your life. And how ironic it is that you and I set a path that does not work out for us. This is the irony of the scriptures here. When my priorities don't lead to what's best for me. And I just once again want to put this into your mind and heart, especially those of you who do not know the Lord and you're, you're trying to decide or understand Christianity or your way of life or what the world has to say. And the reason why things don't make sense is because you have the futility of misplaced priority. Because when you misplace your priorities, then your life doesn't actually turn out for what's best for you. And what God wants to come in and what I'm trying to help do with the scriptures today is reorder your life to give you the right priorities so that your life can lead down the road towards what's best for you. So they say they don't have time for God's interest. They don't have time to build God's temple. They don't have time to focus on God's ways. But they do have time for themselves. They prioritize themselves but didn't get the results from all the extra time and effort they spent doing that. Look at this, what God says. He says, now you need to consider your ways. I'm telling you, I mean, that's, that phrase should land on all of us. Straight from the Lord, you need to consider your ways. Is your way of life working out for you 
as to what is best for you. Is your rhythm of everyday life actually producing the thing that you want and need to experience? Are the choices that you make on a daily basis leading towards growth, maturity in Christ, being more secure in him, living with greater purpose, having more victory over sin, being filled with more satisfaction, being less angry, more patient? Is your life leading towards these results? Or are you trying, which I know some of you here are, and maybe some of you watching online who don't quite want to come to church yet, but you're willing to get on YouTube to say, is this way of life working out for you? This is how he says it. He says, you have, I mean, this is amazing. What a preacher. He says, you have sown much, but harvested little. You spend all day and all morning getting the field ready. You go get all your seed. You spend all the effort waking up, working, 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 working. But the return on your investment is very small. How about that for some of you in our D.C. ambition culture? You sow a lot. You work a lot. But are you harvesting little? Because your life is not in order. He says you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. The basic sentiment of this is you are never satisfied. No matter how much you eat, you're not satisfied. No matter how much you drink, you're not satisfied. You are never satisfied. No matter how many girls you get, you're not satisfied. No matter how much money you make, you're not satisfied. No matter how many people tell you you're great, you're not satisfied. No matter how much your life is going according to the world, no matter how much success, fame, admiration, security you get in the world, you're not satisfied. What's going on? That's what the world says works. More money, more power, more sex, more happiness. But you and I both know it's not how it works in real life not actually how it plays out. I get more of those things apart from God, but I'm less satisfied. That's what you experience. He says, you clothe yourselves, but you're not warm. And look at this. He who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What a word picture. It'd be like you had a little piggy bank, you know, and somebody came and knocked the bottom out of it, and you keep thinking you're investing and adding and adding. Some of you say, that's what my retirement looks like over the last year. Uh, I understand. I'm with you. You say, man, I keep putting money in, but it doesn't grow. How does this work? Maybe I need a new investor. Anyways, uh, you say, I, this is not working. I, I keep putting time in, but I, and then I just lose it. Nothing comes back to me. I mean, I have more work but less happiness. I have more money but less security. I have more pleasure but less contentment. More relationships but less connection. More information but less knowledge. More time put in but less given to me in return. More effort but less results. Make it make sense. The return on your investment in your life just isn't there. You know it. Even if you're here today and you are a Christian and following Jesus, you say, still, the way I have ordered my life, the return investment's not there. It's not there. So Haggai comes in. He comes into their life, 
thousands of years ago, and he comes into our life now with the same word. What I love about this whole book is you can summarize this whole book with one verse in the New Testament. So this is going to give you perspective on what the book is about. The one verse in the New Testament that is a summary of this entire book of Haggai is this, Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what you need on a daily basis, will be added to you. What a principle for life. Life is all about order. We know this. They, uh, recently I was, I was getting out of my car, and uh, for some whatever reason, I got in. I think I had my foot on the brake, but I forgot to put it in park. So I opened the door and stepped out, and then the car started <laughs> moving forward. It was still in drive. You know how when you park, you just leave your foot on the brake, and you just forget that last, you know. Uh, and I opened it, and it started to scoot forward. And, you know, praise God. You know, the Lord is so merciful. I, I was able to notice and jump back in and get in the car before any disaster struck. But it would have gone right into the building, you know, if I hadn't, I hadn't had any awareness of what was going on. Uh, you see how important order is? You got to put the car in park before you get out of the car. Otherwise, your, your car is going to end up wrecked. Well, so it is with our life. You got to put your car in Jesus. You got to put your life with him as a priority first. You have to make him first. Some of you are trying to get out of your car without putting it in park. You're trying to live your life without putting Jesus first. You're just going to wreck it. There's no other option. We've all experienced that, myself included. Me left to myself is a train wreck, an absolute car wreck. It's terrible. We have to put our life in order. Now, the world knows this as well. This is why a pop psychologist can write a book called Rules for Life and it be a bestseller. Why? We're desperate to know how we should live our lives. What's the order? What are the rules? How does life work? What am I supposed to do? Somebody writes a book and you say, praise, somebody wrote something. Everybody buys it. How do I put my life in order? And you know what? You don't need 12 rules. You need one. If you put God first, everything else will fall into place. That's the one rule for life. You don't need 12. 12 is a waste of time. You need one. The one rule of life. Put God first. Everything else will fall into place. Now, before you get mistaken, it'll fall into place according to what God knows what's best for you, not according to what you hope happens in your life. Okay? They're saying you put God first, and then you're just super rich, successful, famous, and happy in Jesus. You get all those things all together. That's not how it works. He did say take up your cross. Oftentimes when you put God first, you end up in much suffering. Now. But you get an eternity of happiness, which is a really good trade-off for me. It's like I give God a dollar and he gives me a million, trillion dollars. You know, like I suffer for just a little bit. And he gives me an eternity of bliss. I can deal with that trade. But if you put God first, everything else will fall into place. This is what the scripture teaches us. Not according to what you think is best, but according to what God knows is best for you. So I want to close with these three obstacles to living this way. So you say, my life needs to be in order. My life currently doesn't make sense. I understand that I must put God first for my rest of my life to actually work itself out. If my relationship with God is in ruins, my life is in ruins. I cannot fix the land until I first repair my relationship with him and prioritize and put him first. Now, I want to go live that out now. What we're going to see here is real quick three different obstacles to actually doing that. So if you're with me and you're understanding that this is the way of life you need to live, here are three things we see from from the text that are going to keep you from doing that. So the first is this, ignorance. This is some of you who just say, you know what, 
I understand my life needs to be put in order, but I'm a seven on the Enneagram, and I just don't think about things like that, you know. I just feel, I just living. I'm just living life. I just, I haven't thought about it, you know. I didn't know. I didn't think about it. You know, sometimes I get frustrated with my life, but one day at a time, you know. Uh, it's ignorance. Ignorance is going to keep you from doing this, and that's for many of my friends here who don't know the Lord. You're outside of this with God is that you're ignorant as to the reality as to what's actually happening in your life. Some of you are here today and you're really confused, you're upset, you're discouraged about your life, but you, don't, you can't put your finger on it. You don't know. Nothing is necessarily working out the way that you think it should, and you just can't place your finger on it. You didn't know you were supposed to live a different way. Well, I'm here to give you some good news this morning is that Jesus has opened up a different way for you that he has made possible through his death and resurrection. And if you would follow and trust in him, your life would begin to make sense. Please don't stay at this level of ignorance. Why would you want to be ignorant about your own best interests? That should be the thing that you seem most concerned about. God wants you to have the life he has intended you to have, both here and forever. So that's the first obstacle for some of us is ignorance. We just don't know. And the Bible teaches this, that the only way to live life well is to live for God first. So no longer be ignorant to what's happening or wrong with your life. The thing that doesn't make sense in your life is that you haven't put God first. The only way to live life well is to live for God first. Number two, hesitance. So we're going on levels here. The first is ignorance. The second is hesitance. You're just not ready. This is for many of my, both, both sides, my, my, my Christian friends here, my brothers and sisters, who God has been asking you to do something, and you say, not ready. Yellow light, you know. I'm not red lighting it, God. I'm just yellow lighting it for all of eternity. You know, that's what, you know that's what you mean in your heart, you know. Later, you know. Sure, okay. So, and for some of you here, you say, I, you know, I get this a lot, especially with young people. I just don't want to give up what I have in the world to follow God. And I just hope, I hope finally by God's grace you see how foolish that is. You're hesitating actually following the Lord. You're delaying making that decision because you think you might as well live it up while you're young. And what you're doing this whole time is destroying yourself and giving you more things to regret. And I want to help you avoid that now. No longer delay. This is what they say here in the passage. He says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They say, it's not time yet. And then the word of the Lord came, and he says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell? And he uses a nice adjective here, your paneled houses. You see what he's saying? You're not building a house to get the bare minimum of refuge. The Lord wouldn't be mad at you for that. You're prioritizing making your house beautiful while you completely neglect mine. This adjective here is very important. He doesn't say, is it time for yourselves to build yourself a house so you can stay out of the weather? No, no. He says, I've been watching you paint and color and switch out the tiles and get the contractor and redo and redo. I've seen you do things to your house over and over and over again, and you haven't given one dime to serve the Lord. This is what he's saying. It's not that he doesn't want you to have a house to keep yourself safe. He's saying you are spending an ornament, a, a ton of time and money, paneling, making beautiful your own house while my house lies in ruins. They say it's not time yet. 
How many of you have used that excuse to God recently? It's not time yet. God says, I need you to do this in faith. I want you to take a risk. You say, it's not time yet. I want you to finally leave this situation. I want you to finally get out of this habit. You say, it's not time yet. Here's what I want you to understand is that to delay is to disobey. It's the same thing. If I say it's not time yet, I'm saying no thank you. You might as well say never. To delay is to disobey. Hesitance is disobedience. Listen, there is always time to prioritize God because you know you make time for what's important to you. Nobody can ever, you should not say this to me because I'll come right back at you. If you ever tell me you don't have time for something, no, 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 no. I got six kids. Don't talk to me like that, all right? Don't talk to me like that. Don't say that to me, all right? I don't have time for it. Of course you do. Of course you do. There's no room for wiggle here. I don't care how busy you are or the different things that you're doing. You have time for what you think is important to you. Say it straight. And if you're not making time for God, that's a sign to tell you that God's not important to you. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't trick yourself. This is why the Bible says examine yourself and test and see whether you are in the faith. You make time for what's important to you. And if you're not prioritizing God, then you're just saying he's not important. And maybe some of you need to come to a realization that you don't love God like you thought, and that might require really following him. Maybe you've never actually followed him. You come to church. You grew up in a Christian house. You do all these different things, but you've never actually made a decision to follow him and it gets realized in these moments where you realize he's not actually that important to you. Or maybe some of you have just gotten so busy you've missed the way. And you, you realize now that it's not just simple neglect or like, man, I'm not spending enough time with the Lord. But it's saying something about your heart right now that gets exposed in a moment to say, my life needs to change. I need to reorder my life. Because you know God is important to you. And so you want to make your life look like that. So hesitance, to delay is to disobey. The third one here is busyness. So the three obstacles, ignorance, hesitance, and busyness. Look at this. It says uh, here in verse 9, because of my house that lies in ruins, and here's the phrase, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Not ignorant, not hesitant, just too busy to worry about it. Too scattered, too hurried, too frantic. Got too many things going on, can't squeeze it in. Just too busy. That's probably the number one aspect of our current culture, and especially being here in D.C., just too busy. Just too busy. How, how could I come to restore and, and pray for an hour and just worship? Isn't there something else to do? Too busy, too busy. I got money to make, I got bills to pay, I got things to do. Not that you have to come to that particular thing every week. I'm not saying that, it's just an example. It's, like, it's too busy. You know, the temple throughout the Old Testament was God's house. It was the place of his presence. So to neglect the temple was to neglect the presence of God. A lack of concern for the temple showed a lack of love for God. Matthew 13 gives us this parable where Jesus gives us this parable of seeds that get thrown out into the ground and 
three of them end up dying and one of them ends up living, but I won't go through the whole thing, but one of the seeds of, of the truth that gets sowed into the ground, it grows up and Jesus says it grows up for a little while, but then he gives this, this characteristic. He says it gets choked out by the concerns and worries of the world. It's possible for the seed of the gospel and the truth of God's word to be planted into your life and then for you to be too busy to see it mature into full growth. Busyness. Now, ignorance, hesitance, and busyness. So as we close, I want to give you this encouragement, okay? So you're saying, wow, I just feel super convicted right now. Well, good. That's good. Me too. I've been convicted for three weeks, so you can be convicted for 30 minutes. Okay. All right. I've already shed my tears with the Lord on how awful my life is, you know, and how much I need to get right with him. Uh, And the Lord's so kind and gracious. But verse 9 says this. He says, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And I think that's where many of you came into this room. You're looking for much out of life, but only finding a little. You're looking for much out of your relationships, but only finding a little. You're looking for much out of your path, your choices, your decisions, but you're only finding a little. And what I want to encourage you is that not only ought we to turn and change our ways, it does require repentance to say, I'm wrong and God is right. But God isn't up there saying, get your life right. God is up there making you an offer to say, you keep looking for much and it comes to little, but if you would look to me, you'd find everything you're ever looking for. When we look to the world, we get little in return, but when we look to God, we get more than we ever asked or dreamed. The offer's on the table. Keep looking for much, but it comes to little. But if you would fix your eyes on Jesus, you would turn and put your faith in him. You would give him your attention and your focus. You keep looking for much, but only in Jesus can you find more than you ever asked or dreamed. So through all of the conviction and the repentance that is required, it is an offer on the table to come and find the life you were intended to live, which is better and more than you could ever ask or imagine on your own. And this is only available in and through Jesus Christ. So may we all turn to him and fix our eyes on him. Let's pray and let's respond to the Lord now. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I just pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that this would be a a room of solution this morning. Not just conviction, but solution. Lord, that you would, as we turn and set our eyes on you, that you would remind us of how wonderful and worthy you are. I pray for those in this room who don't know you yet, that they wandered in here with a friend or family member. I pray that you would prompt their hearts to finally put their faith in you. I pray that they would realize the emptiness of their ways and that they would find true life in you and your death and resurrection for their sins. Lord, I pray you would call people to yourself. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us get our lives in order. Pray, Lord, that we would thrive, God, in your presence. Pray, Lord, that we would begin to fix our eyes on you more and that we would receive everything that you have intended to give us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord. The scripture says it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. 
not your judgment. And so we thank you for your kindness this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have another day to reorient our lives around you. And I pray, Lord, this would not be a moment that fades away, but this would be a marker that changed our lives, Lord, that our lives would be reordered from this point on forever. And we love you, and we thank you for who you are for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.